Take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 150. Last week we talked about what it meant to be called by God, and we talked about the fact that being called by God means that there is a call on our lives to Jesus into a radical new life with Him. And when you think about the things that we, we sing about, and you think about the things that we proclaim with our lips as we utter the words of those songs, what we are declaring in this place is that we want more than anything for God to move and for God to be glorified and for God to be lifted up. But what I want to talk about today is what does that mean? What does it look like in our life to be called to worship? Because the truth is that when God calls you into relationship with Him, one of the main things that comes out of that, the most important thing that comes out of that, is a relationship where you then reflect who God is and glorify Him through your life. Anybody uh, see the moon last night? Did you know it was a super moon last night? Did you know that? We told Luke that, and Luke asked what superpowers it had. You know, super moon, uh, one of the largest moons that has uh, been around since, I think, 1983 or something. I don't remember the exact date, but it's, it's been a long time since the moon's been that big. And here's the thing about the moon. The moon is itself nothing but a dark, big rock, right? Floating out in space around us. But what gives the moon its light is the sun. And the idea is that the moon is simply, even when we see it, and it's hard to picture this, the moon is, when we see it, nothing more than a reflection of the radiance of the sun. I mean, when you see, we're so used to things that are lit are lit from within, right? Everything in our house that is light comes from within. So when you see that moon, we saw it last night. We were out uh, by Indian Lake. We'd eaten out there, and we were coming back, and it was just right there on the horizon, huge. It's hard to realize that there is nothing in that itself that is giving off light. It is simply reflecting the radiance of the sun. Well, as believers in Jesus, part of our job is simply to reflect the radiance of God through our lives. And that's part of what worship is, is reflecting the glory of God. But we also have this this moment every week where we gather together as a congregation. When we come together as a church and we worship. And so today, I want to focus primarily on that. At the end, we're going to talk a little bit more about the lifestyle that we're leading. But I want to focus for a moment on what we do in this place every Sunday. And what I want us to understand is that when we come into this place and we join together in singing praise and we come together to glorify the name of Jesus, of His Father who sent Him, of God Almighty, of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that when we do that, we are in fact fulfilling and meeting the deepest need of our lives. Because the deepest need in our lives is fulfilled in glorifying God. Psalm 150 tells us a couple of things. First of all, Jeff read it earlier. I'm going to read it again. The first word is hallelujah or praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. That's the verse that Baptists skip. 
Praise Him with the strings and the flute. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The truth is, what this scripture teaches us is that the most important thing we can do in life is give glory and honor unto the Lord Almighty. Many of you have started reading uh, The Purpose Driven Life again. We started this week. And if you haven't started, I encourage you to pick up a book on the way out and just pick up and read a couple of chapters a day. That'd be about five pages a day. It's not very long. But the first statement of that book is the most important thing that is said in the whole thing. The first four words of that book are more important than the rest of the words combined if you really grasp what it says. And the first four words of that book are, it's not about you. It's not about you. We live in the most self-indulged, selfish culture that has ever existed. And the world tells us that it is all about us. Anybody remember a guy named Copernicus? Anybody remember Copernicus school? What, what did Copernicus teach us? Exactly. You remember Copernicus real well, right? What did he teach us? Yeah, that we revolved around the sun not that the sun revolved around us, right? Now, there were others that came along later and said, that's true, and Copernicus was kind of shunned, and then uh, the church kind of got mad because they said that's not what the Bible teaches, which is completely wrong, but uh, sometimes the churches get things like that wrong, all right? And so you, you have this idea that for centuries people believed that the earth was the very center of the universe. Well, we may scientifically know that's not a fact anymore, But the truth is, we act as if we are still the center of the universe. All the decisions we make are about what is good for us. All the things that we think about are about what would be good for us or our family. And the truth is that life is not about you. It's not about your family. It's not about this church. It's not about Goodlettsville or Greenbrier or Ridgetop or Hendersonville. The truth is, life is not about us. We were designed to understand the fact that life is about giving glory and praise and honor to the Lord. The first verse of Psalm 150, the word there is literally hallelujah. That's an old word from the Old Testament. It's a word we still use today, but it means simply praise the Lord. This is praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. The idea here is that our life ought to be centered around praising the Lord. And the truth is, when we don't do that, when we don't honor and glorify and praise and respect and reflect the glory of God, then our deepest desires in life go unfulfilled. Our deepest need is fulfilled in glorifying God. In John chapter 4, um, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. and This is a conversation where he's talking to the woman and he starts to ask her questions. And she decides that Jesus is getting a little too personal with her. And so she's going to bring up a controversy and get him to settle it for. And that will get him off of her and onto a controversy. It's a uh, deflecting technique we all use when 
People get too close to our, our kitchen, get too close to what we're doing, get too close to us. We say, all right, let me ask you about this. And she says, well, where, where, should, we, where should we worship? What, what, what should worship be about? Well, in the midst of that conversation, Jesus is trying to reveal to her who he is. Before they get to the whole discussion about worship, he reminds her that he is the only source of real fulfillment. In, in verse 23 of chapter 4 of the book of John, Jesus says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Then the woman said, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep to come here to draw water. The point of that passage is that we must draw our life from glorifying the Lord. There was a group of people in the 80s called yuppies. You remember some of you around, you remember the word yuppie stood for um, young, upwardly mobile professionals. Okay, They were yuppies in the 80s. Um, well, the yuppies have grown up. And they have a new term. They're no longer young, upwardly mobile professionals. They are now called the Moss Generation. And that stands for, Moss stands for uh, middle-aged, overstressed, semi-affluent suburbanites. That doesn't have quite the ring to it, right? Now, here's what it says about the typical Moss. They're in their mid-40s, working on a second marriage with 2.0 biological and 0.5 stepchildren, has at least one publication or medication on cholesterol, and is affluent but doesn't feel like they have enough. That description can be distilled to one word, which is thirsty. They have tried the things of the world and found them lacking, and they're thirsty. Let me just be honest with you as your pastor. There are believers all across this country. There are believers in this congregation who, even though they give verbal assent to following Jesus, they are trying to fill their life with all of the other stuff that the world has to offer. And they continually find themselves thirsty. This past Wednesday night, I shared a story that I'd read about a World War II uh, flying ace pilot. It was Eddie Rickenbacker, and he was shot down in the Pacific. And this, you know, this was back in World War II, and they had the dogfights and planes. And he was shot down the Pacific, and all of his, his guys, they, they landed there. And they ended up on a raft for three weeks. Their water uh, ran out on the first few days. And so they found themselves on a raft without any emergency water, but surrounded by the ocean. And on the 13th day, a guy named Alex that was part of their crew decided he couldn't take it any longer and he reached down and he grabbed water and he just began to pour the water into his mouth. And for the moment, Alex was satisfied. But eventually his thirst returned and it was stronger and worse than it had been before. And when the men were rescued, only one man didn't make it. It was Alex. As I read that story, the, the place I read it said, compared it to the life that we live and the people that are around us who are lost without Jesus, which is true. When you're in 
continually engulfing salt water, to use that illustration, you may feel uh, fulfilled at one moment, but it's not lasting. But the truth is, as believers, we constantly fill our lives with the things that don't satisfy. We constantly fill our lives with the things that don't fulfill. What have you used recently to try to fill the void in your life that comes from not being connected directly to the Lord? What have you used? Is it your family? Is it your friends? Is it some kind of addiction? Maybe the alcohol, drugs. Maybe it's stuff you watch, listen to. Maybe it's internet stuff. Maybe it's just diving into studying somewhere. Maybe it's pouring yourself into job or to school or to activities. And you're trying to fill your life with all of this stuff. And it never feels like you've been fulfilled. Psalm 150 reminds us that our lives must start with praising the Lord. Praising God in His sanctuary. The second thing that Psalm 150 tells us is that when we worship, we must worship the Lord with everything we have. Now, before we get delve fully into the instruments and what all that means, notice that it tells us to praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens. Now, most of us read that and we think immediately, oh, it's talking about the sanctuary. We're supposed to go to church to praise God. That's not what is intended here. When it says praise God in His sanctuary, that doesn't mean this sanctuary. It doesn't mean a sanctuary on earth. It means to praise God in His heavenly realm. It is to understand that the praise of God is continual, ongoing, forever, and that it has never ceased and it will not cease. That God is continually being praise. Now, most people in churches today think that worship goes the other way, that it goes from earth unto heaven. But scripture teaches that it comes from heaven, comes to earth, and we send it back to him. Maybe that's why people are so conflicted. They see something as personal. They treat worship as it was their expression of one's own personal devotion to God. So when someone gets in the way of that, when they don't hear a song they like, or, or someone gives them a bad look, or, or a, it just the, 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 the pastor says something a little off, or uh, somebody didn't shake their hand like they thought they ought to, then suddenly this personal experience is ruined because it's not what they wanted. Um, in my previous church, uh, we had a, a lady complain one time because we'd never sang one of her favorite songs. And that it was hard for her to worship. And so we expected, you know, let me just say, being a pastor, music person, you, you hear that. That's not, that's not the abnormal part, okay? But people tell you that. When, when are we going to sing that song again? Or why don't we ever sing this song again? Or, boy, I tell you what, I love that song. That'd be good if y'all could sing that song sometime. Boy, I, I, I just didn't like those songs y'all sang today. But I, I like those songs, but it's a little, you know, I mean, you get that. Right, Jeff, we get that, right? Okay. So that's not the abnormal part. So we just said to her, okay, what, what, what song, you know, my music guy was standing right next to him, and he said, well, what song do you want to sing? She said, it's that Long Black Train song. You know what I'm talking about, Josh Turner, Long Black Train, Devil's Coming on that Long Black Train. And she just could not worship unless we sang Long Black Train. Well, we have never sung Long Black Train in worship, all right? It has been sung on American Idol. It has not been sung in a worship service I've been a part of. 
And, and it sounds silly when you say that, but really, how much sillier is it to say that for her to say, I can't worship without that psalm, and for us to say, I can't worship unless it sounds like this? But the point here is that it's not about our personal preference. The psalmist's portrait moves in the opposite direction. It starts in the heavenlies, praising God in his sanctuary, his dwelling place in heaven. The second phrase, praise him in his mighty heavens, is literally praise him in the firmament of his might. It's the vaults of heaven. The biblical imagery here is is to describe where God is. And it's a praise that resounds throughout the domain of all that God has created. And so from there, in verse 3, it's like we hear the resounding cry of the worship that is happening of the Almighty, and we want to join in in that. It's like in Revelation chapter 5, when it says that the Lamb is worthy, who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Those are the angels and the multitudes of saints surrounding the throne and singing that. And then it says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. The idea is we hear the worship happening in heaven and we want to join in on what's happening. How many of you have ever walked into a worship service that's already going on? In this service, pretty much all of you, because some of you don't show up till 11.15, I know, right? And so, uh, don't look at me like you've never done that, all right? Now, when you walk into a service that's already ongoing, do you walk in differently than to a service that has not started yet? You do, right? I mean, if we're up singing and the band's playing and... If there's nobody in here, you kind of walk around, you put your stuff down, you talk to a few people, you have conversation. If the, if the band's going, music's going, things are happening, you walk in differently, maybe a little more cautiously. And then there's that sense also of maybe I, I'm ready to, I want to join in what's happening. Okay? What, what Psalm 150 kind of gives us is that we, when we enter into worship, are walking into a service that is already in progress. And that we need to enter prepared and ready to join in the multitudes in heaven and the reality on a Sunday in the millions around the world that are in worship of our Father. We aren't having our little disconnected worship service here at First Baptist Church, Goodlettsville, apart from everything else. And then it tells us when we come in that we worship Him with everything we have. I mean, they just start saying in verse 3, praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet, with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with tambourine and dancing. Oh, that's not enough. Get some strings and some flutes. Get the drums, the cymbals, the resounding cymbals. Get them out. Do everything you can. It's almost as if the psalmist here is saying, I want you to use everything but the kitchen sink to worship the Lord. I think in churches in recent years, we have tried way too much to figure out what shouldn't be allowed in worship, then we have tried to figure out what we can incorporate in worship. The idea here is that whatever you got, whoever you are, and it's not just physically thing, it's not just the instruments. People get caught up on the instruments. Well, that means we can use a trumpet, but we can't use this. Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about a guitar here. Well, it says cymbals. I've had somebody tell me this. It says cymbals. It doesn't say drums, so you can't use drums. I said, well, would you rather me have somebody up on stage playing the cymbals? I mean, what is that? 
I mean, it's not trying to say this is all you can use. It is basically saying whatever you got, use it. When we engage in worship, we're engaging in heavenly activity. And we are required to bring everything we have to the experience. Have you watched any of the NCAA tournament games? See, My bracket is shot, all right? Literally, there are 30 of us at the church that got online and did a bracket. I'm, I think, fifth from the bottom, which doesn't tell the full story because three people apparently did not fill the bracket out. And so that's, they have zero points. Either that or they are really bad, all right? They got zero points. And so I didn't do very well. But I, I love watching the games. But the way they've got it set up now, I don't watch any of the games unless, well, I didn't watch the Tennessee game either. That was, that was horrible. Um, I don't watch any of the games till the last few minutes. And I can guarantee I will pause a game if something's coming up to watch the last few minutes if a couple of things are happening. One is if it's coming down to the wire. And two is if there's a guy named Gus Johnson calling the game. All right. Gus Johnson's kind of become an Internet big, big time guy and all this. And here's the reason. It's because he calls every game as if it is the last game on earth. The other day, he was calling a game between Villanova and George Mason. I don't care about Villanova or George Mason. George Mason is actually supposed to be the better team according to the seedings, but they scored in the last minute, and you would have thought it was the greatest upset in the history of the world. Why? Because Gus gave everything he had to that call. And he made you care about a game that I don't have any interest in whatsoever. Here's the thing. When we come into the presence of an almighty God, we are to give everything we have for the glory of his name. And our lives ought to be so on fire with what the Lord is doing that people that have no interest in understanding who he is suddenly have a desire in knowing our God. Now, Psalm 150 gives this idea that we ought to be brought absolutely alive for the purpose of glorifying him. Now, I want to give you one caution. And you're going to have to turn in your Bibles to read this with me. But I want you to turn a few pages to the right to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 58, because I think I would be negligent if I didn't point out that as we are supposed to bring everything we have unto the Lord, that God will not honor our worship if it's from a disconnected life. God rejects worship from a life that is disconnected from him and what he's called us to do. Isaiah chapter 58 is a passage of Scripture that talks about God condemning the people for what they're doing. In fact, this is the prophet Isaiah speaking the words of the Lord to the nation of Israel. And it says in verse 1, Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. He says, get ready, because I'm going to tell them what they're doing wrong. Here are their sins. Are you ready? Here's their sin. Day after day, they seek me. They seem eager to know my ways 
as if they were a nation that does what is right has not forsaken the commands. They ask me for just decisions and they seem eager for God to come near to them. Verse 3 tells us they have fasted, they have humbled themselves. So their sin is drawing close to the Lord, seeking Him out, asking Him to come and show up in their midst, seeming eager for Him to arrive. Their sin is saying, we welcome you with praise. That's their sin. Why? I mean, they ask the question, Lord, why have we fasted? You haven't seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves? You've not noticed. What's wrong, Lord? We're doing what you've told us to do. We're here. We're singing. We're celebrating. We're doing it. We're welcoming you into this place. What is wrong, Lord? And at the end of verse 3, he tells them, it's because their lives aren't matching what they're saying. It says, yet on your day of fasting, you do whatever you want to do. And you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? One day for a man to humble himself? Is it bowing your head like it's a reed? Or even for just lying around in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable unto the Lord? What he's saying here is, listen, you've got all the motions down. The problem is your life shows no evidence of glorifying God in any way. He says here, listen, your worship is selfish. He says, you come to me and you fast, and yet you do whatever you want to do. You act like that doesn't make a difference in your life. He says, you come to me and you fast, and you exploit the people that you're working, they're working for you so that you get more stuff. He says, basically, you come to me and you've got everything you need and you keep adding more and more stuff to things that you don't even need. And you say, Lord, we're here. We're waiting on you. And there is no room in your life for me. So why am I going to respond? Then he says, not only is your. Not only is your worship selfish, it's also disingenuous in relationship to other people. He says, you fast, and then you go out and start fighting each other. You come to church, and you sing praises to the Lord, and then you walk out, and you go to lunch, and you talk about people that were sitting next to you in the pew. You tell stories about people that you were in Sunday school with. You make up things about them, or you exaggerate the truth, or you tell the truth in a way that makes them seem not what they are. You walk out of worship and the first thing you think about is what wasn't right today? What wasn't good today? How you didn't get it right with your relationship today? How things went differently than you want today? It ends with quarreling and strife. He said, how in the world am I going to honor that? And then he says, not only that, it's superficial. It's selfish. It's full of fighting and superficial. He says, is that what I want in verse 5? Only one day a man to humble himself? One day. You expect me to be happy that one day you come and you humble yourself and you bow your head like you're a reed, but you're not even voicing a prayer or it's not from your heart. Or then even act like you're repenting. You, you walk down front and you bow down and everybody goes, oh, isn't that, isn't that great? But in your heart, nothing's changed. What God says in this little point here is that it doesn't matter what you're doing on the outside if you're completely disconnected from me that your life ought to be about worshiping me and then he tells them that in verse six he said this is what i want this is the fasting i want now don't don't misinterpret this to mean that it's all about serving people we're going to talk about serving people in a few weeks serving people is important but it's tied to the worship of our god 
It's in the declaring of who he is. So the chains, the, the fasting I've chosen is to loose chains of injustice, untie the cords of yoke, set the oppressed free, break every yoke. It's to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them, to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. That is fasting. Verse 8. And when you do that, your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will appear. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and He'll say, Here I am. You see, the truth is, what we do here on Sunday morning has no meaning whatsoever if you're not living a life connected to Jesus. Is it isn't your weekly fill-up This isn't the time that you come in to get uh, motivated to keep living. This is the time you come to celebrate with God's people and to be challenged to become more like what He has called us to be. It's not a time to get your religious fix. And if you're living the rest of your life without any awareness of the glory of God, then there is no way you can come in here and sing praises to God and glorify Him from a heart that means it. One author talking about this passage says, you know, superficial worship is rampant in our churches. When people open their Bible, but they've closed their hearts already, when they sing the words from their lips, but have no meaning whatsoever in their lives from them. When people walk in and find their seat and sit in a position that internally says, I've done my duty. Let's get this over with and let me get back home. So let me just ask you a question. Are you living a life of worship and dedication to the Lord? Are you living a life of complete devotion to Him and to bringing His glory to bear on this world?